Amen, amen. Happy Easter. It is great to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Well, as we start, I have a seemingly unrelated question for us. Is it just me, or does it seem like the amount of scams keeps going up? Right? Right? Like, I get so many scam attempts, I actually have a friend in my phone that calls me named Scam Likely. Right? I got another friend named Potential. (laughs) Potential Spam. Right? Like, or if you get an email from me asking for money, it's probably not me. Right? I feel like I get emails all the time in, like, broken English. Right? Like, calling me dearly beloved and saying I have a massive inheritance, right, uh, overseas, and they just need my social security number and bank account information, and they get it over to me right away, right? But, but question for us, like what if something a little more credible came in? Like you get a, you get a letter in the mail, a, a snail mail, in like a legit law firm that you could like Google, you know, letterhead, saying a distant relative that maybe you've heard of, but, but don't know for sure, a distant relative has passed away, and all you need to do, you need to come into the office, sit down, because there's a massive inheritance waiting for you, right? The, the, the grammar's correct in the letter. It's, it's, a, it's a known law firm, and, and the amount of money could change your entire life. Like, I think we'd at least look into it, right? Be- because if it's true that that inheritance is for real, it-, it could change the complete trajectory of our life. You know, what we celebrate on Easter is not just chocolate bunnies, although those are great. I don't know about peeps, but I don't think those are great. <laughs> what we celebrate on Easter is the death of, and resurrection of Jesus himself. God himself came to the earth, died for your and my sins, and then rose from the dead, not a few hours later, but three days later, rose from the dead. Now, if this is a false claim, then, then to be honest, we're all a little foolish for being here. And the stories of many of your lives and and thousands of people I know whose stories I've heard, whose lives have been changed, must somehow be kind of fabricated. But if the death or resurrection of Jesus is true, if this is real, my friends, that has huge implications for humanity. And I believe it has had huge implications for humanity and world history and will continue to have huge implications for world history as well as for your life. Like, for example, the reference point for every date in history, including your birthday, goes back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, his death and resurrection was so significant, it separated B.C. from A.D. There's a reason 2.4 billion people around the world are celebrating Easter this morning, or at least believe in Jesus. You see, it changed the life of the followers of Jesus from being a discouraged, 
depressed, disobedient people to being people who were filled with courage, who were filled with power, who were filled with compassion, who were extremely contagious. And it could change, I believe, and has for many of you, every part of your life as well, your past, present, and your future. You see, this news, this good news that we celebrate, it can heal your past. It can transform your present. And it can absolutely change the trajectory of your future, both in this life and for all of eternity. So why specifically or how specifically can the death and the resurrection of Jesus change and transform your life? I want to go through five brief points this morning from a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on how the death and resurrection of Jesus changed everything and can change everything in your life. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. Paul is, this whole chapter is on the resurrection of Jesus. We're just going to look at the first eight verses here this morning. And he says this to the church in Corinth. He says now this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, which means good news. So I'd remind you of the good news which I proclaim to you, of which you received and in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. He's saying this is, this is of utmost importance. What I'm about to tell you is what I delivered to you. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely board, he appeared also to me. Paul is saying, this good news is of the utmost importance because it can change everything about your and my life. So we're gonna move through the different parts of this good news. It'll also essentially take us through Easter weekend from Good Friday through Saturday and into Resurrection Sunday. So the first reason why this news can change our lives is this. Our sin is completely forgiven. If we have put our faith in Jesus, our sin past, present, and future has been completely forgiven. It says that right here in verse 3. It says, Christ died in accord, uh, for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. This was prophesied. If you go back to Isaiah 53, hundreds of years ago, we see the promise that we would have a Messiah, a Savior, who would die for our sins. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Now, I know that this concept of sin can be challenging and even offensive to us today. In fact, I know there's certain groups that say you cannot use the word sin or say that someone else is a sinner, has sinned, because that is, that is an offensive concept. And I will say that 
Definitely the church has gotten it wrong at times. At times, the church has been more focused on calling others sinners than looking at the sin in our own lives. But without an understanding of sin, we struggle to have an explanation of why life can be so hard and so painful. Right? We, we look for a reason to pour out our wrath and be a scapegoat for the problems of our lives, right? It's Biden, it's Trump, it's this person, it's this ethnic group, it's that person. If they would have done this, if they would have taken responsibility for this, well, then that wouldn't have been happening, right? Or history would have been different if they would have done this, right? And, and we point fingers and we blame others, for the problems we experience today. And of course, people have some responsibility and a part to play for sure in why we are and where we are. But you see, why we struggle with health problems and why our world is divided and why, why, why we struggle with one another and have division, it doesn't just go back the last two years, the last six years in our politics. That goes back from the beginning of time. You see, the problem is called sin. We live in a broken world that has been affected by sin, and you see the reality is, it's not just them who's guilty of sin, it's us. We've all had a part to play, we've all sinned, we've all struggled, and you see the reality is that God made you and I for a loving relationship. You're not an accident, not one of you. God intended to make you for a, relationship, a loving relationship with him. But you see, because God is perfectly holy and all of us have sinned, what that does is it breaks our relationship with God. It's like if my wife is trying to, is trying to you know, be, be in close relationship with me and I say, I'm actually going to go my own way and do some things that I know you hate. I'm just going to go my own way. It breaks our relationship. And the Bible says this about that, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us, our relationship with God at some point or other has been broken. And what happens because of sin is this little stuff called guilt and shame and isolation and regrets. And you see, the human body is not made for a lifetime of carrying around shame and regrets and guilt. It messes up our health. It messes up our mental health. God did not intend us to carry a lifetime of regret. And you see, the reality is some of us, we're carrying that around. Some of us who even named the name of Jesus, we're carrying around a lifetime of regrets of things that we come and praise the Lord on Sunday, but then go back home still carrying the weight of after church. But you see, Jesus came and he died, not just to on paper forgive your sin, but to enter into your deepest places of shame and guilt from whatever you've done so that you could be set free, my friends. There's nothing you have done that wasn't covered in the blood of Jesus when he died. There's nothing too big you could have done that Jesus can't forgive. And the reality is, we can't work our way for the forgiveness of sins. All of us have racked up a check and a debt that is too big to pay ourselves. We can't work out of our own guilt. It only produces more guilt because we fail. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, 
It's recorded in John 19. He said this, it is finished. And that Greek word literally means paid in full. You and I, we've got debt. We've got debt of sin and shame and guilt, and we all felt it. And when Jesus hung on the cross for sins he never committed, but for your and my sin, he said this, is paid in full. I don't know what kind of debt you've got, moral debt, emotional debt, sin debt. If you'll put your faith in Jesus, or you have put your faith in Jesus, it is paid in full. It's done. It's completed. Isn't that good news, y'all? We believe that. You can check in your guilt with him. That check that you've reigned, uh, that you've racked up too much, that guilt, that shame, you can leave it with him. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you got a big grace bank account. Anyone thankful for that? Because I've needed to dip into his grace bank account a whole lot. I think we've all needed that. Okay, the second reason why the death and the resurrection of Jesus can change our life is this, we can know that God is at work even when we can't see it. You see, after he died, it says in verse 4, that Jesus was buried. Can you imagine what the disciples were feeling? They've been following Jesus. They've seen miracles. There's incredible promises, not only that Jesus made, but throughout the Old Testament, of what would happen. You see, he's the king of the Jews. He's the king. And now he's dead. You can imagine how foolish the disciples felt, how disillusioned the disciples felt, how disappointed the disciples felt. And now, silence. You see, if we have Good Friday where Jesus died, we have Resurrection Sunday where we are today. In between was Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday. A time of pain, a time of disillusionment, a time of asking why and not getting answers. You see, Saturday's silence torments us often. For the disciples, They're probably thinking, is God mad at me? Did I disappoint him so much that he would leave? God knows that Jesus is in the tomb, so why is he not doing anything now? And in a room like this, I know there's countless of you who are in a place of feeling like, God, why are you being silent in this area of my life? Can't you do anything? God, don't you see my finances? Don't you see my career is going in the tank? Don't you see my marriage struggles? I don't understand. It seems like you're doing nothing, God. But as we know, in hindsight, God wasn't done when Jesus was buried. Not only was God not done, he was about to do the biggest thing yet. He was about to change the entire course of history. You see, it was in the silent Saturday where God was setting up the resurrection Sunday that would change everything. You see, when God seems silent in our lives, he's often the most active. When he's silent, he's often preparing us to be people that can sustain the breakthrough that he wants to bring in our lives. 
In that silence, he's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to listen to him. He's developing our soul. He's maturing us. He's taking our roots down deeper into him so that no storm can blow us over. He's teaching us to be the kind of people that he can trust with more. I know for for me and for us, these last few years have been some of the hardest of our lives. Definitely from a ministry and relationship front, just just things uh, that have just been challenging. And I talked to pastors across the board. This has been been some of the hardest few years of our lives. Pain, disappointment, times that I have been in shout-out matches with God. Why? I don't understand this. What are you doing? I didn't have questions. I didn't have answers to questions that I have. And yet, somehow these have been some of the best years of our life. Not that it's been a straight line or all up and to the right, but God has deepened our roots and invited us into experiencing abundant life in some places that I didn't even know possible. I think I trust God more than I ever have. In the midst of chaos, my anxiety level has been lower than ever. Our marriage has experienced life in ways that we've never experienced. God, I just feel clear in what he's called me to and us to as a church. Somehow in the silence, God has been loud. Somehow in the silence, God has been more active, it seems, than ever before. Right? If God just fixed every problem for us immediately, how would faith, compassion, and love be built in us? They did a study years ago where they built an ecosystem and tried to grow trees where there's no problems. There's no bad weather. Everything's watered perfectly, and there's no wind. And because there was no storm or no wind, the trees actually began to die. You need the silence of Saturday in your life to grow the roots you need for the things that God's called you to. And what should we do in the waiting? Just what Jesus did. Lie still. Trust. Let the Father work his ways and trust the timing of the resurrection on the other side. Now what happened next? It says in verse 4 that he Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance to scriptures. This wasn't just happenstance. In fact, it was prophesied that he would raise from the dead. In fact, we see in stories like Jonah, that's a picture and a promise hundreds of years beforehand that he would die and be raised three days later. And Jesus himself claimed that and did it and fulfilled it. So two points off this resurrection, our third point here. Why does a resurrection matter because we have power over sin and death. With the resurrection life of Jesus, we have power over sin and death. You see, the disciples thought that death had the final word, but death didn't. You see, what happened in the midst of not just an hour of being dead, but like the beginning of probably human decay three days later, Power from heaven came down and did the impossible and brought death back to life. And I wonder in our lives where death seems to have the final say today. Maybe it's a generational sin that you can't seem to struggle. You saw it in your parents and your parents' parents. You made a vow you'd never do it and now you're struggling with that. 
Maybe it's a pattern in your marriage or in a key relationship or with your roommates that you can't seem to shake. Maybe it's discouragement or depression. Maybe it's, it's some type of behavior that you can't seem to shake. But let me tell you, there is no dead thing in our lives that God cannot speak resurrection power and hope to. There's not one. There's not one dead thing in our life that the resurrection power cannot at least breathe hope into. But the reality is we often don't expect that. We often live, for those of us who are believers, like like the forgiveness of sin part, that's on Jesus. But making everything else happen, that's on me. Right, it's, it's like for those of you guys who are car people, it's like we, we get a Ferrari, right? We go to the dealership, a Ferrari's gifted to us, and we're like, man, the power in this thing is awesome. <laughs> like, look at this. You hear that sound? And we get the keys, we throw them in the front seat, and we're about to leave the dealership. We get behind the car and start pushing it. We say, thanks, <laughs> I love this car. Look at the power. This thing's awesome. And we're pushing it, and the dealership's like, I, I gave you a car. Get in and drive it, man. <laughs> And we're like, no, no, this is good, pushing it, right? I'm, I'm doing good, right? I'm, I'm a good Ferrari owner here. I'm pushing, pushing it, right? And that's how we often live the Christian life. We get this gift, and then we're determined to make that happen in our own power. And we wonder why we're struggling. Romans 8, 11 says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that good news, y'all? You got the same spirit, if you're a believer, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in you. That means power over sin, power over anxiety, power over past pain, Power over struggles that you cannot seem to shake. Not by striving in our own strength, but by surrendering our strength to his strength that is much greater. When we allow him to have his way in our lives, there is nothing that he cannot breathe hope and strength and life in. For us, a number of years ago in our marriage, we felt stuck. I don't know if some of y'all have felt that, whether it's a marriage or just maybe a family relationship, just stuck. We loved each other, but it just seemed like every time we entered into a few conversations, we get into this thing that we call a crazy cycle. It's like, it's like we love one another, and all of a sudden, we don't love one another. When we step in that place, we can't seem to shake it. And the harder we tried, it felt like the harder we failed. And I felt like I was failing as a husband, and that shame pushed me farther down in the struggle than ever. But what began to change is when we surrendered our strength and literally said, we don't got this. We don't got this. And we got on our knees and we threw up the white flag and said, Holy Spirit, we need your resurrection power. And what began to happen is we threw up the white flag in our conflicts. It wasn't instantaneous, but the Holy Spirit started to show us our shame and begin to love us there. He began to give us wisdom. He began to give us hope and breathe life into our marriage. He brought a counselor at the right time in the right place. And man, we've experienced almost 100% breakthrough in some of these areas, but it was in the surrender and trusting his power 
When we invite his power in, there's nothing he can't heal. There's nothing he cannot bring breakthrough and hope in. And I know he wants the same for you. Number four, why the death and resurrection of Jesus can change everything in our lives. He gives us the promise of eternal life. How many of you have experienced some disappointment these last years? Maybe without a show of hands, you've experienced some disappointment these last years. I know I have. And for me, I'm not that old, but it seems like the older I get, the more I realized that this life was never meant to be a place where every desire and longing of my heart would be perfectly fulfilled. Y'all, y'all feel that, right? It was, like, it was like so often my life was like this cup, and I was trying to get like every, if I get every desire filled in life and every dream fulfilled, then it will like be full to the top. And I kept filling it and striving and pushing and losing sleep and why is the cup not filling up, you know? Like, a, ah, it seems like every time I start to get my life in order here, something blows up over here. And then I go over here, and it's like the whack-a-mole game. And then I look at the bottom of the cup, and there's a hole in it, right? Y'all feel that, and you're striving and losing sleep? And I just started to realize I live in a broken world. And this side of heaven, life is going to be imperfect, Because I'm not made to stay here for eternity. Y'all, life can seem so long, but it is a blip on the screen. We are passing through, and the Bible says these are light and momentary troubles that we are facing. And we have an eternal glory that we are waiting for. And when I was young, I was, uh, I'm still kind of young, but when I was real young, (laughs) I was like, no, no, I got a lot to do in this life. I got goals to meet. I got things to do. You know, I'm I'm still going for it, right? I'm still being bold and going after it. But listen, the more pain I experience in life, the more I'm ready for heaven. And I realize that this broken world, which will always have disappointment, it will always have abuse, it will always have wars and rumors of wars, there will always be pain In this life, the more I go, the more I experience, I'm actually made for heaven. And then this is temporary. We're never made to be fully fulfilled in this life because there's an eternal life where every lung will be fulfilled. Jesus said it like this in John 16, 33. He said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, while we experience the storms of pain and disappointment in this life, Jesus gives us the promise of heaven to be an anchor. Not to stop every storm, but so that no matter what storm we go through and what prayers don't seem answered, we will have an ultimate fulfillment there. And our hope can ultimately be placed on the other side of this short life. And you see that we struggle with this because I think our understanding of heaven is so limited. One one preacher said it like this. It's like we try to, uh, we we struggle with heaven because it's like a mosquito trying to understand the internet, right? Like we don't have brain capacity and we, 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 uh, 
we go to the TV version of it, right? Like heaven, we have this beautiful world of colors and waterfalls and all this. But the TV version of heaven is like it's all white. You can't see very well, right? And it's like, okay. And then, and then it's like fog machines are like creating fog everywhere up to your knees, right? So you can never see your feet. And you have like wings and a harp. And it's like, I don't know if I want to spend eternity there. You know, it's like, this looks a little more like hell than heaven, Right? Like fog machines, I can't see what is going on, right? I'll go back to California. Thank you, you know? Uh, but listen, Jesus gives us a picture of heaven. Scripture gives us a picture of heaven that is so much greater. I won't read all this for time's sake, but it says there'll be no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow. Jesus' glory will be what gives us light. We'll see his face. We'll have rest and resurrected bodies. Our longings will be fulfilled. We'll drink and eat. We'll have redeemed work. We'll have deep relationships with one another. And with Jesus face to face, we'll eat and drink at the table with Christ and his followers from the nations of the earth. We don't need to be afraid of death, my friends. The last point, and we'll get you out of here, is this. We can know and encounter Jesus personally. Why is the death and resurrection of Jesus such great news? You and I can know and encounter Jesus personally. We see it in verse 5 through 8. Jesus kept appearing to people. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 of the followers at one time. He appeared to Paul. He kept appearing to his followers again and again. It wasn't like Jesus left the tomb and like slowly floated up with his harp. And it was like, it's been real, people. Sayonara, it's been great, but I'm out of this joint. See ya, good luck. He died to save you. And so you better believe he wants a relationship with you. He was like, I can't wait to appear to them. I can't wait to show them the good news. I can't wait to do life with them. The God of heaven didn't just appear to the whole world at one He made personal appearances. Like, I'm going to appear to Peter right now. I can't wait to, I know how I'm going to surprise him. I'm going to get him. How about the disciples on the road to Emmaus? I got a sneaky one for them. And I know what's going what, to make them tick. He made personal appearances again and again and again to his disciples. He's alive. He is revealing himself to people all over the world. We say it's not fair. How can people in countries that have never heard of Jesus, you know, die apart from Jesus? Man, I've spent a, number, a bunch of time in the Middle East. I would walk up to people who've never heard the good news, and they say, yeah, I keep having dreams of Jesus, this man in white. Can you explain to me what's happening? He is revealing himself all over the world today, right now. In my life, I was about to commit suicide many years ago. I was on the verge of ending my own life, and I looked up, I opened a Bible, and I said, God, if you're real, there's got to be more than what I've seen. And his love and compassion entered in and showed up. And I could keep sharing stories of people that I know how God is appearing again and again, including to many of you. In fact, I asked a few of you just to share with me in a sentence or two, how has Jesus showed up in your life? Patricia, why don't you come up and just read some of these stories? 
church. I am so privileged to just come before you and share these individuals' testimony and how God has been alive and he's changed their life and he just showed himself. And so I'll go ahead and read some. Jesus has shown himself to me as a caretaker. He has always been there for me through the dark valleys and the fun mountains. No matter how much I fall short, he patiently guides me and continually pursues me. Jesus has shown himself as a redeemer. He took a relationship that struggled in sin and made it into a healthy marriage. Jesus has met me where I was. He healed my bipolar and restored my identity in him. Jesus has shown himself to me as a constant source of hope, strength, and refreshing when life feels overwhelming and hopeless. Jesus has shown himself to me as my lover and free therapist. He has taught me to love myself and therefore others by first showing me how much he loves me through my brokenness and my ugliness. Jesus has pers personally shown himself to me as my heavenly father, always with unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. Jesus has shown himself to me as my redeemer, husband, king. He walked with me when I was in utter despair, giving me hope to believe in a new day. Jesus has shown me his unconditional love, never failing love. Despite my past, no matter what I do, he is crazy about me. Jesus shows up in the unlikely circumstances and unexpected places. All the while, we are sinners. When we least deserve his grace and salvation, it is given to us. Jesus has shown himself to be a father who gave me a name, a calling, and an identity. Jesus has shown himself to me as a comforter. He has drawn near to me during really difficult times. Jesus has shown himself to me as a gentle and kind shepherd. When I became disillusioned with life he distra and distracted by lesser loves, he leads me to his heart. Jesus has shown himself to me as a faithful friend who is closer than a brother. In my life, I have struggled with abandonment and loneliness, and Jesus has continued to be a real friend who speaks to me. He knows, he knows me deeply and satisfies my heart. And his, deep, his deepest longing for me and his significance. And for me, he has just been that source um, in my life, going through one of the darkest and uh, most challenging times two years ago. Um, he just became alive. He just showed himself in a really big way, and he changed my life. And our hope for you is that you would have a testimony, that you would uh, just allow him to be alive in your life, that he would continue to show himself and change your lives. So uh, our hope for you is that. Amen.
Isn't Jesus amazing? I don't know where you're at or how Jesus would want to show himself to you, but I believe that you can know him today. You can know him today. Whether you already followed Jesus, you can know him again today. And if you're here and you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, I believe he wants to show you his goodness today and already maybe is showing you his goodness. He's the hope for eternal life. He's a forgiveness of sins. He is a God who leads us when life seems challenging. He is a God that gives us power over our sins and walks with us no matter what. So I don't know what sin or struggle you have today. But no matter what you have done, and believe me, I have done a lot. The reason why I committed suicide is, or I tried to, I wanted to commit suicide is I hated myself for what I did. I don't care what you've done. There's nothing you have done that Jesus right now cannot forgive and remove the guilt and shame of the past. But what that means is that you need to receive this gift of free grace. You can't earn it. But you need to just simply put your faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin and want a relationship with me. And you can do that just like you'd receive a gift. Open up your heart, say thank you, and just pray a simple prayer. So if you are here and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you can pray with me. Just a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned and I need you and I need a relationship with you. You can pray with me right now. Put your faith in Jesus. Jesus, I've sinned and gone my own way. But today, I acknowledge I need you. I believe that you died for my sin and the sin of the whole world. And I need you to forgive my sin and save me. I ask for the new life that you have for me. Give me a fresh start, God. In Jesus' name, amen.